All right, so um, before we go ahead and, and get started, can I get somebody to go ahead and open us up in prayer for our teaching tonight? If you don't volunteer, I will volunteer you. Thanks, James. I'll pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for all the wonderful men here. Thank you for the wisdom that you have brought into this room. And I pray that your word would be glorified, uh, your son would be lifted up, and that we would all become more like him um, as we encourage one another and uh, work to understand your word by your Holy Spirit. Uh, bless Jason tonight and help him to teach your words, make him smaller, and make your son bigger. Amen. Amen. Alright, so uh, evening y'all, first official week of Bible study. Orientation is kind of week zero in my mind, so uh, first week going through the whole book of James. Um, I hope you read through the whole thing. It only takes 15 to 20 minutes. And if you haven't, I highly recommend that you go ahead and read all of James uh, sometime in the next few days before you move on to the rest of your, uh, your study and your teaching for uh, week two. Um, but tonight our primary focus is going to be, as I mentioned, an overview of the book of James. And so after we discuss why we chose the book of James to study this semester, we're going to cover a few things about the book um, that are going to aid us in our study. And so here's an overview of, of what we're going to talk about tonight. And so after we talk about why the book of James, uh, we're going to talk about a main point of the book of James uh, we're going to talk about a background on the book of James. That's who James is, uh, when the book was written, who the book was written to, um, how James is communicating and, and saying these things to us, and then also the overall structure and the flow of this book. And so we're actually going to spend a majority of the time on the background of the book of James, and that's going to help us as we interpret each passage week to week, making sure that we don't... Uh, we don't forget any of the cultural, theological time context that is around the passages that we're reading. And so finally, after all of that, we're going to get to the purpose of the book of James. And that's why James wrote it. So what the purpose was behind it. And then also why it matters for us today, 2,000 years later. And so after about two semesters of, of going through the same book in Bible study that we were going through on Sunday mornings uh, in the preaching calendar, why are we changing course and deciding to go through the book of James? Part of me just wanted to try something new. Uh, we were just following the preaching calendar, and I kind of wanted to just break from it and do something kind of new. But there's also some specific reasons why we chose the book of James to go through. And so first of all, it's a new book genre. And so, yeah, the Gospel of Matthew that we just came out of, it's a narrative, it's a story. And then before that, the book of Ephesians um, that we went through a few semesters ago is also a letter like James. But as we're going to find out in the background section tonight, it's a very different kind of letter. And so while they're both letters, that's a very, very broad term that doesn't really let us know what kind of writing James is. And so another reason why I wanted us to go through the book of James um, is that God's communicable attributes are on display. And so God's communicable attributes is just a fancy term for the characteristics and the character of God that we as humans are able to emulate and to reflect. And so think about God's love. This is something that in a very, very small way 
we can emulate. Not perfectly, but God's love is something that we can emulate and that we can reflect. God's patience, God's generosity, these are all his communicable attributes that are on display here in James. Another reason why we're going through James is that it's practical and it's concise. And that doesn't mean that the rest of Scripture isn't practical or the rest of Scripture just has a bunch of fluff in it. But the the focus here is that instead of presenting these lengthy, logical arguments uh, like the Apostle Paul does in Romans or Galatians, James opts for brevity. He doesn't really reiterate the same thing in different ways to make sure that you get the point. He just says it, and then he moves on. And also, James doesn't try to convince you at any point. He's just assuming, and he's just commanding. He really just tells you the way things are, the way things are going to be, and the way things should be, and what you should do. And lastly, another reason why we chose the book of James is pastoral wisdom in in this commanding obedience in the book of James. And so there's this this pastoral tone and how James communicates the commands of God. And there's a real tendency uh, in in our culture of big, macho, pastoral figures adopting a harsh tone of, of critique and brute force to correct error instead of sharp yet tender calling. And so, though James's commands can get a little sharp at times, especially his warnings against the rich in chapter 5, it's clear that his approach is to communicate wisdom in light of Jesus. And, and because Jesus has lived out the righteousness of God, so we are also to live out the righteousness of God. And so this brings me to um, what I'm going to call the main point of the book of James, You can write it down, you can bold it, you can highlight it, get it tattooed on the back of your hand, put it as your phone wallpaper for the next 12 weeks. Whatever you need to do, I want it ingrained into your head. Faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. Faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. Something I want to drop on you here, and we're going to pick back up on it later a little bit um, towards the end. James doesn't mention the name of Jesus over and over and over in the book. And instead of, instead of that, the teachings of Jesus are interwoven into everything that James has to say. Everything that he says and everything that James commands, which is what we're going to see in our background section um, later, later on tonight. But just something to keep... In the back of your mind that we'll revisit is just because James doesn't say Jesus over and over and over doesn't mean that it's not the foundation by which you sing everything that's in this letter. And so first in uh, the background of the book, let's talk about who wrote the book. And if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, it's a dude named James. Mm-hmm. And there's a few Jameses in the New Testament, just like there's a few Marys in the New Testament. Um, but the most prominent was James, the son of Zebedee, also part of a dynamic duo with John, his brother, called the Sons of Thunder. And so these two Sons of Thunder, James and John, uh, were the closest followers of Jesus and and were part of his inner circle. Uh, James of Zebedee's brother, John, wrote the Gospel of John. However, it's not this James that wrote the book of James. 
And there's a few reasons why that is, but one of them is, is that James, the son of Zebedee, was killed for his faith in Jesus very early on after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And so instead, a lot of the evidence that we have, um, it points to a guy named James the Just or James the Righteous writing this book. This later follower of Jesus was known for his pastoral wisdom, for his merciful heart towards sinners, and specifically his heart for the Jewish people. He was a great leader in the church after Jesus' resurrection. And this James, who's the author of, of this book, became the first bishop of the city of Jerusalem, which shows you the respect and, and honor that he had in the early church. Not only was he the author of this book, hailed James the Just, the right, righteous, merciful, honorable leader, but he was the actual blood brother of Jesus. And so as a brother of Jesus, he saw Jesus grow up without sin. He saw the ministry of Jesus from afar and up close. And yet something that we know about him that's pretty peculiar is he didn't believe in Jesus as the son of God, the Jewish Messiah to come save the, sin, the sins of the world until he saw Jesus resurrected. And so as we read through the book of James this semester, it's important that we see the writing through the lens of a brother of Jesus. Someone who lived with Jesus. Someone who, as a kid, played with Jesus. And then ultimately saw the death of his brother Jesus. But not only that, the resurrection transformed his understanding of his brother. And from that transformed understanding and recognition of Jesus' true status, he relays this message to us. Faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. And so let's, get a mo uh, let's take a moment and, uh, to get into the rest of James. Uh, before that, let's go ahead and go right to the first verse of chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. And so something that you'll notice in our study and uh, in the book and in the teaching and everything is um, the primary version that we're using is the English Standard Version, the ESV. And so if you're using something else, totally fine. Um, but make sure that if you're being asked to read, read aloud or anything like that, make sure you're reading from the ESV. Um, if you don't have that physically with you, you have this magic thing in your pocket called a phone that does have ESV on it. So use whatever you want in your study, all that kind of stuff. But I just want to make sure that we're kind of all on the same page uh, when we're in small group together. And if you don't have an ESV Bible, physical one, and you want one, let me know. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so in many of Paul's letters that we're used to, like Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, etc., Paul puts his status as apostle on display. This isn't for attention because Paul wants you to know how cool he is, but it's a claim of authority. Paul makes it clear that his status as an apostle is why he's writing. But for James here, he opts for the titles Servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In James' mind, being the literal blood half-brother of Jesus does not give him authority to say and command the things he's about to say. Instead, much like the apostle Paul, his authority is derived from God himself. 
of which he believes Jesus, his biological brother, is. And more than that, I want us to pay attention to another word there. Servant. James is going to talk a lot about obedience to God and being like Jesus here in this letter. And in his mind, as it should be in ours, his call to obedience for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is status as a servant and as a son of God. And so with Jesus as his master that he obeys, as his Lord, James writes this book as a servant somewhere around the year 45 A.D., and so our estimate for when you know, the book of James was written and was sometime in the mid-40s A.D. Uh, the council in Jerusalem happened somewhere around 48 to 49. And so I'm just going to split the difference, say 45. If you find some hard evidence that says 44 A.D., whatever. Um, Mid-40s is what we're landing on. Um, but a few reasons why this date range um, are, are as follows. First, James the Just, James the Righteous, the author of this book. He was killed for his faith around 62 AD, and so it was definitely written before he died. Um, another reason is, uh, based upon how James writes about justification, it seems like not only, did he Paul, not only did he not interact with Paul's writings, but he had not yet in person discussed with Paul how to come to an agreement on the language surrounding the doctrine of justification. And so these two likely discussed this um, as they were both present at the Council of Jerusalem in 48-49 AD, uh, just before 50 AD, which means the book was probably written before then. And so as a side note, and we'll get to this when chapter 2 is discussed in a few weeks, um, James talking about justification here is not contradictory in any way to Paul's understanding. They're just making different points using different contexts of language to different audiences. And so again, we're going to get to the, this later in the semester, and if you're like, what are you talking about? Difference in justification between Paul and James. Don't worry about it. We're going to get there. If you want me to get there tonight, too bad. Be patient. And so third and lastly, um, why this date range, is the Jews were dispersed because of some event. And so you could take um, verse 1 where it says that um, the, the Jews were dispersed as a literal or a metaphorical thing, as something that happened recently or something that is just always the status of the Jewish people to always be diver, uh, dispersed. Um, but tonight I'm going to take a little bit more of a literal approach. And so James's primary audience was Jewish Christians that, again, were dispersed through the areas of Palestine and of Syria by some kind of event. And so in the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, Pentecost had brought hundreds of Jewish people to Jerusalem, and there were, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, individually indwelt believers and followers of Christ, among many other things that happened at Pentecost. And so many Jews already lived in Jerusalem. It's like the base. It is the hub. It is the central headquarters. The central um, embassy for the Jewish people is the city of Jerusalem, but there were also many Jewish Christians that had traveled to Jerusalem because of Pentecost. And so a lot of those Jewish Christians that traveled there for a post-Passover type event, um, they, they went there temporarily, but because of the works of God and what God had done at Pentecost, they stayed. They found places to stay, they lived with other people, they bought real estate, stayed on the outskirts of town. They all stayed there longer than they were planning to. 
And so some event dispersed the Jewish Christians back out all over Palestine and Syria. And in my opinion, and not just my opinion, I promise I'm not just making it up, um, it's more than likely this. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. And so we're going to read through this passage twice. Um, And if you can, uh, one of y'all go ahead and read verse 54 through 60 aloud. And then I'm going to go ahead and repeat it. Don't take that as a personal offense. I just want us to really get this ingrained in us and make sure we're paying attention to the story. So, 54 who wants, through 60? Yeah, 54 through 60. I got it. You got it? Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. All right, one more time. Now when they had heard these things, and specifically... Uh, Stephen's defense of the gospel and, and of Jesus as the Messiah in the passage right before this, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so here in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, there was this event that dispersed the Jewish Christians all throughout the region again. They kind of came together, stuck together in Jerusalem. Obviously, some were trickling out, but a lot of them were just staying in Jerusalem. And so this is what dispersed a lot of the early Jewish Christians. The first Christian to be killed for his faith, the first martyr, Stephen. And so these spread out, these dispersed Jewish Christians are those to whom James is writing. Jewish Christians who got out of Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. And so James 1, verse 1, again says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so as a note, um, twelve tribes was a common way for Um, to to refer to the Jewish people internally. It's not something that a Gentile would call the Jewish people. It's something that was an internal name for themselves, uh, the 12 tribes. And this was because Jews believed that our God, Yahweh, would bring back and restore the nation of Israel via the 12 tribes. And so James, the brother of Jesus, around the year 45 AD, mid-40s, He's writing to this Jewish Christian audience spread out all across the Mediterranean. 
And James is communicating to this audience via the form of a letter. And so if we were designed to be technical and, and get a multiple choice quiz uh, on like a Bible quiz, get the answer right, uh, the answer for literary genre of James would be simple. Letter. Or if you want to get into fancy Bible terms, an epistle. But the letter of James is not a, like a lot of the New Testament letters that we're familiar with. There's no specific situations in a local church context mentioned at all. There's no specific people mentioned in the greetings at the end or at the beginning. There's not, it's not written to one specific church. It's not explicitly listing out doctrines that you need to remember and apply. And it's not a rebuke towards a specific local church over an individual that is in a primary dangerous error that's being said all throughout the church. That's not the case for um, any of James's context. And so instead, the book of James is a letter fit for its audience. These dispersed Jewish Christians across many cities and many regions would not have the same issues or know of the same people if James got into a lot of specifics. This very different kind of letter is what makes it really hard to definitive, definitively say that the book of James is this genre or this genre. And so the closest word that we have that we know right now is a sermon or a homily. And so this is where the truth of God is proclaimed to an audience using universal metaphors for the hearer to understand, not just for the purpose of hearing, but the important part of the sermon or a homily is for the purpose of doing, actually carrying out the actions commanded based upon what is taught. And so because the book of James is so unlike all the other letters that we may be used to, the structure won't be as much of a guardrail like it is if we were reading a letter from the Apostle Paul. And instead of a logical flow or an argument like we may be used to in Romans or one of those other books, um, there's a bunch of seemingly disjointed and thrown together sections here in the book of James. And so instead of trying to see how one section flows to the next and applies to the next, let's instead look for big picture themes that recur over and over in the book of James. Instead of prioritizing flow and ease of following in a linear type of thought, James wants you to think kind of cyclically in circles. He wants you to remember his writing in two different ways, two ways. Conciseness and universal metaphors. And so there's another book of scripture that we utilize in the same very kind of structure. And it's the book of Proverbs. Chances are that if you randomly open up Proverbs right now, stick your finger on a verse in Proverbs, um, you're not going to be on the same topic for more than a dozen verses. Right? And so that's very similar here in the book of James. But what is seemingly lost in a lack of structure and, and flow is gained in the book of James by concise statements with timeless metaphors. And so as an example here, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few uh, verses in Proverbs chapter 3 over us. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and the profit better than gold. 
She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Likewise, James chapter, James chapter 1 says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in midst of his pursuits. And so here in Proverbs and also in the book of James, timeless truths that are concise and utilize universal metaphors is what James is going for. And so through this sermon, homily, letter, epistle, thing, whatever you want to call it, James is writing to Jewish Christians, and he's wanting the original audience, and by extension the Holy Spirit is wanting us to know or to do or to remember something. What is that something? Well, let's revisit that main point that I brought up at the beginning. Faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. This may be a weird point, main point to you when the name of Jesus or the Christ is only mentioned twice in the entire book. But I would argue here that Jesus is not mentioned over and over because James' entire foundation for everything here in this letter is the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't need to keep saying this is from Jesus and the other thing here is from Jesus because the entire book of James is basically an artistic rendition on a long Jesus quote. I mean, come on, the first half of James 2 is basically a ripoff of the Sermon on the Mount. And so James talks about money and the rich and the poor and material needs and worldliness and worry and suffering and testing God and praying to the Father all like Jesus does in his teachings. And so to James, faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. Let's look at how Jesus fulfills and does just a few of the things that James mentions about obedience to God. Jesus endured the testing of God, and he remained steadfast. He remained joyful in his suffering. Jesus did not blame God for temptation to sin. Jesus elevated the poor, and he humbled the rich. Jesus did not just teach the commands of God, but he actually carried them out and fulfilled them. Jesus was really and actually righteous and actually religious, not self-righteous or fake religious. Jesus' faith was validated by his works. He did not say, show me your works, I'll show you my faith. He showed his works, or showed his faith by his works. Jesus did not curse God. And Jesus reflected every communicable attribute of God because he is God. Jesus was gracious. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was generous. Jesus was wise. Jesus was humble. And today, Jesus still is these things. And so look at the attributes of God that I just mentioned. Gracious, merciful, generous, wise, and humble. James wants you to know that Jesus was these things. Jesus is these things. Jesus will be these things, and because of Jesus, you can also be gracious, merciful, generous, wise, and humble. 
And so the only thing here that stops you from pursuing holiness and exercising godly wisdom is your faith, is your belief. And so it kind of leads me to ask the question, what do we believe about Jesus tonight? Not what others have told you what he's like. Not what you know in your head what's right about him. Not, not how you feel emotionally in the moment about him right now. But down deep in your soul when suffering and trial hit, what do you believe about Jesus? James seems to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the eternal God who lived a perfect life, who rose victorious over death and Satan, and now has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. That belief, that faith, does not lead James to wallow in sorrow about his suffering, about how much he isn't these things that Jesus is, so why bother? That faith that James has in his own brother does not lead him to abandon society, to start a Christian commune. It doesn't lead him to apathy. It, it doesn't lead him to handing off some re- responsibility to the state. It doesn't lead to inaction. It leads to obedience everywhere. James believes so much in the resurrection of the Son of God, his brother Jesus, that he's driven to obey all that Jesus commands. He truly believes that faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus. And so, do you? Are, are you like Jesus? Do you, ev- do you elevate the poor and humble the rich? Do you endorse suffering with joy? Do you have works that validate your faith? Are you gracious? Are you merciful? Are you generous? Are you wise? Are you humble? Some of us today may be more like Jesus than others in the room, depending on how long we've been following Jesus. And, but the important part is we are more like Jesus today and, than we were yesterday and the day before that. And we are much more like Jesus now than we were when the Spirit changed our hearts to proclaim Jesus and to be adopted by the Father. But the thing to note here today is while faith in Jesus leads to being like Jesus, right now you are so far from being like him. And that's what God is at work doing here in the book of James. He's making you and me more like Jesus day by day through obedience to his commands in faith. Let's pray. God and Father, you have adopted us into the family of God. Remind us that as our, with our status as, as your children, remind us that we too, like James, are now counted as brothers of Jesus. Drive us to obey so that we may be more like your son. You have given us everything we need. Your word, your spirit, even a community around us to point us back to your face when we wander. Give us vibrant faith that takes care of the oppressed in our city and welcomes refugees and immigrants and the orphan and the widow. May we hate the pursuit of wealth and love the pursuit of Jesus Christ. May pure and undefiled religion be our practice and a perfect savior be our belief. In the name of our brother, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.